Hello everybody, this is the Creepy Cassie Podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Casco. Have you ever heard of scary tales that have to do with Christmas? First, we're going to look at a kid. His new toy is strange. Then, we're going to hear about the Krampus. And then... We, I'm going to interview my friend Sarah, and she's going to tell us some stories. Now, I like telling stories. If you haven't guessed, if you want to tell, if you want me to have a story, send me an email at leonagaskell at gmail.com. Now, and if you want to watch the video version, go to youtube.com slash fruity vlogs, capital F, lowercase R, capital U, lowercase I, capital T, lowercase Y, capital V, lowercase L, capital O, lowercase G, and capital S. Now, without further ado, let's get started. There's always that toy that caught the attention of millions of people across the world. They're, they are called Hatchimals, and they're these toy, and they're these toy eggs that you interact with until the toy hatch animal pops out of the egg and they are now almost impossible to find in stores. Flipping through Amazon only frustrates me more until I realize the cheapest ones are going around $180. There's no way that my meager sales win. Man, Sir Lay, Sir Lay will be able to cover that expense. It's just that my son really wants one, and I need to keep looking for one that I will be able to afford no matter how long it takes. Um, I'm about to, I'm about to give up for the night until I found a Craigslist ad for Hatchimal just for fifty nine bucks. Just for 59 bucks? Dude, you're in luck. Well, no, not for me. Just for 59 bucks. Now look through the ad and find out that it's some good Samaranian that has bought 50 of them knowing that they'll be that they will sell out quickly and is now selling selling them for the same price he got them for filled with joy i texted the number that was listed on the page dang it guys like i said i'm sick of this I filled with joy. I texted the number that was listed on the page. 
on my laptop and added them in the bedroom to show my wife the right deal I managed to find. The person does not text me until the next morning. While I'm eating breakfast and see a text from him saying he does indeed have some left and is willing, willing to meet me at the Red Lobster just down the road from me. So I text him back saying I'll be there with cash in 20 minutes. Once I'm done getting ready for work, I head out by the park at Red Lobster. After waiting about seven minutes, I see a man in his 40s step out of the bright yellow truck. I get out of my car and greet him and notice that he has a prosthetic right arm and his face is littered with cuts. Mind my manners and shake his left arm, thanking him for being so generous at the time at this time of year. With minimal words, he states that I should get my money out as he pulls out the box with the green Hatchimal out. Do you pay? I'm just kidding. I'm feeling a bit confused, but I take out my wallet and give him three twenties, and then he grabs my hand and says, The things that we love the most are the things that will kill us in our nightmares. So be warned. I give him a quick thank you, and he gets back into his his truck and goes out into the parking lot. I can't help but feel like there's some this it was some sort of scam. I'm already running late for work now, so I just head off to the store I work at. With it being holiday season, our store is bustling with business. But before I know it, I have met the sales goal for today, and it's time to go back home. While I'm driving back home, I realize I completely forgot to wrap the present to start stop by the local Walmart and get a Christmas bag with some Christmas-themed tissue paper. Before I put the Hatchimal onto the bag, I check over to make sure it's real. Comparing what I have in my hand is what the picture on my phone, I quickly determined that it's real and the guy and the guy was just effing creepy. Once I went home, I show, showed my wife and the toy. She actually said we should give the son our gift now. When I gave it to him, he said, he literally said in these words, How did you get it, Daddy? I told him it was not his business and that he needed to go to bed. But I felt bad for what I said. But... Anyways... I mean, he's eight and it's been all he's talking about for the last month. When he received the toy, his face lit up and he gave us both a hug and key. Kisses on the cheek. Ripping open the box, he started petting the egg, and the egg started interacting with him back. Five days before Christmas, it was fine. It was finally hatched with a tiny purple blue owl with a tiny horn on top of his head. It automatically started petting, and it. He automatically started petting it and caring for it as if it were a real pet, and we knew that he truly loved it. A couple of days of him petting it, he carried it around, and we heard the Hatchimal started singing Happy Birthday, and we knew we were finally getting to the toddler stage of the toy. This is the stage that you will teach it to walk, play games, 
and it just a bit more functionalities. That's when I started noticing the toy, and I started to follow my son everywhere he goes. Tonight I told him we were eating dinner in the living room to watch a kitchen Christmas movie, and he raced down and took a seat on the couch. When my wife and I came into the living room with our dinner, we noticed the Hatchimal was halfway up the couch. I asked my son if he brought it downstairs with him, but he said it's followed him down. So when I grabbed the toy and placed him in the kitchen out of reach from my son and came back into the living room. Once the movie ended, I took him upstairs and brushed his teeth and sent him to bed. It wasn't around, it wasn't until around one in the bed when my wife and I decided to head to bed. As I'm passing my son to the bedroom, he's still up and carrying on a conversation. Sneaking in, I hear the Hatchmore talking to my son at the end of the street. That scares me, but the rage fills every part of my body. I realize that the voice of the man that he sold me was a freaking son, was a freaking toy. I'll be at the end of the effing door. Merry Christmas, Mr. Effer. I'll be at the end of the street. This next story is called Krampus is Coming. But... For this Christmas episode, I'm going to do a, but this is not a story. It's going to be the plot summary of Krampus. Okay, so let's get started. But first, we're going to have a quick break. Hello, everybody. My name is Cash, and welcome back to Horror Movie Reviews. I'm a little quieter because I have to. And today we're going to be doing Krampus. Now, let's do it. Three days before Christmas, I pro-Krampus but the functional angel family gathers for Christmas. Matt Angel is a remained firm believer of Santa Claus and intends to send him a letter. His family includes his teenage sister Beth and their parents Tom and Sarah, his aunt Linda and Uncle Howard, their children Howie Jr., Stewie, Jordan, and baby Chrissy, Sarah and Linda's country's aunt Dorothy, and Tom's mother Ami who speaks mostly German. Max wants to continue family traditions, but tension among his relatives saps into their Christmas spirit. When his cousins read out his letter to Santa, Santa and mock him for so believing, he fights with them and yells out that he hates his family and even Christmas. His father conforms him comforts him by telling him that even though there's always chaos during the holidays, he should always love his family and give him a letter, his letter to Santa. In a fit of anger, Max tears up the letter and throws it under the wind outside that is swept up into the side sky. That night, a severe wizard, a blizzard engulfs the town, causing power outages, which bet Beth ventures out to check on her boyfriend. 
a large horned creature chases her. And she hides beneath the delivery truck. A delivery truck. But the creature leaves a jack in the box, which attacks and captures her. Tom and Howard leave to search for Beth, but they find her boyfriend's house in ruins and the chimney split split open and a large goat like hub prints in the house. Outside the two are attacked by an unseen monster un un under the snow. They return home and board up the windows. Later a large hook with a living gingerbread man attacks attached lures Howie Junior into the chimney and is dragged up in the chimney despite his family's effort to save him. Ami explains that the creature hunting them is Krampus, an ancient demonic spirit that punishes those who have lost the Christmas spirit. Ami recounts that when she was a child, her parents in the community lost their spirit during due to the hardships of the war in Europe, as did she, who summoned Krampus. He dragged, he dragged everyone except her to hell, leaving behind a babble with his name on it. The family remained skeptical until a little monstrous stories hidden in presents delivered earlier invade the house. Stevie and Jordan are lured into the attic by Beth's voice. Jordan is swallowed by the dirt cloud and the jack-in-the-box from before. The family fends off the toy, but Krampus elves leap into the window, taking Dorothy, Howard, and Chrissy. Tom decides that the family should flee into the abandoned snowplow and the streets outside. Ami sacrificed herself to distract Krampus who emerges from the fireplace and attacks her with a bag of toys. Outside, Tom, Sarah, and Linda are dragged under the snow while Stevie is captured by the elves. Krampus confronts Max and gives him a bell bobble wrapped in a piece of the discard letter. Max honestly apologizes for losing the spirit, and although Krampus seems to accept his apology, he still tosses Max into hell. Max awakens into his house on Christmas morning, discovering his family alive and well downstairs. He thinks that what happened was just a nightmare until he unwraps a present containing Krampus' bobble, and the family collectively in horror remembers a previous night. Their house is shown being being watched through a snow globe in Krampus's workshop. The film ends when the, with a jump scare by Krampus's elves and demonic toys. Demonic toys. Ew. Well, that was spooky. I hope you enjoyed that. But I'm going to do some more. I'm going to do all this in one episode. I'm going to do a bunch of Christmas in one episode, okay? Bye. I am not actually talking about the Krampuses. Because I can't find a plot summary anymore. So we're going to be doing Silent Night. Deadly Night. Now, let's get started.
1971, a five-year-old Billy Champman and his family go to visit a nursing home where his confident grandfather stays. When Billy remains alone with him for a few minutes, his grandfather suddenly awakens and tells Benny Billy to fear Santa Claus as he gives his presents only to the children who have been good all year but punishes the ones who have been naughty. No matter how briefly, while driving back, a man dressed in Santa outfit seemingly has a car trouble and gets Billy's family attention to pull over and help. As he pull over the Santa-clad criminal, shoots his father with a pistol and forcibly removes the mother and sl- slashes her throat with a slit blade in front of Billy and his baby brother. Ricky Billy from Ricky Billy runs off to hide, leaving Ricky in the car. Car. Three years later, in 1974, Billy and Ricky are celebrating Christmas in the orphanage run by Mother Superior, a strict disciplinarian who persistently strikes children who misbehave and considers punishments to be necessary and is a good thing. Sister Margaret, the only one who sympathizes sympathizes with the children, tries to help Billy play with the other children. But Billy is constantly subject to Mother Superior's strengthening eyes and is regularly punished. On Christmas morning, the orphanage invites a man in a Santa Claus suit to visit the children. Billy gets dragged by Mother Superior as he punches the man before fleeing to his room in horror. Ten years later, in the spring of 1984, a now adult Billy leaves the orphanage to find a normal life as obtains a job by a stock boy at a local toy store. Thanks to Sister Margaret, at the store he develops a crush on co-worker Pamela, and he has sexual thoughts regarding her, which are often interrupted by morbid visions of his parents' murders. On Christmas Eve, the employee who plays the store's Santa Claus has been injured the night before, and as a result of Billy's boss, Mr. Sim makes him take his place. After the store closes, the staff has a Christmas Eve party. Billy's so dressed in a Santa Claus suit, tries to have a good time at the party, but keeps having memories of his parents' murders. Causing him to feel depressed, at one point he sees his co-worker Annie making out Pamela and they both walk into the back room. Billy walks after him and sees Andy trying to lick Pamela. This finally physically triggers his insanity. He hangs Andy with a string of Christmas lights and stabs Pamela with an old tree knife. Utterly darkening the punishment is good. A highly intoxicated Nestor Sims goes to the back room to check on the noises he heard. Just when he was about to leave, Billy murders him with a hammer. Billy turns off the store lights, causing his manager, Mr. Randall, to go check out the back room. She screams inside of Mr. Sim's corpse and tries to call the police, but Billy cuts the phone line using a double-bent axe, causing her to run and hide. Billy walks around the store trying to find her, and at one point, Mr. Randall drunks out and trips Billy, stealing his axe. Before she can escape, Billy shoots and kills her with a bow and arrow. A sister Margaret discovers the carnage and returns to the orphanage to seek help via telephone. Billy breaks the nearby house where a young couple named Demis and Tommy are.
or, um, you get it, and a little girl named Cindy is sleeping. Billy then impales Denise on a set of deer antlers and throws Tommy through a window. When he awakens Sydney, Cindy, Billy, and confronts her. Billy then confronts her and asks if she's been nice or not. She says she's been nice, and she hurt and gives her the utterly knife she had used earlier. After this, he's witnessing bullies picking on two sledding teenage boys, and he decapitates one of the bullies with his axe, and the other screams in horror. The next morning, the orphanage is secured with officers Barnes and Captain Richards, aided by Sister Margaret, who knows that Billy has committed all the murders. The dad pastor, Father O'Brennan, who was dressed who was dressed in a Santa outfit and mistakenly shot by Barnes upon coming forward, mistaking him to be Billy. Mar- Barnes is then axed by Billy while distracted. While distracted, due to the Santa outfit, Billy gains access to the orphanage and confronts Mark Superior, now in a wheelchair. She taunts Billy due to her disbelief of Santa Claus and, the, and just prepares to kill her with an axe. Richard appears and shoots him in the back. Much to sister Margaret's shock, shock. As he's dying, Bill lays on the ground and utterly nearby children saying, You're safe now. Santa Claus is gone. Before then, scrummingly to his, scrummingly to his wounds, as the, as the children gather around, Ricky coldly staring at Mother utters, Naughty. And that's it. That Silent Night, Deadly Night. So, Silent Night, Deadly Night is a 1984 American slasher film directed by Charles E. Sattler Jr. and starring Robert Brian Wilson, Lena Charlin, Jelmer McCrock, Tony Nero, Lena Willey, Brick Leach, and Leo Germer. The story concerns a young man named Billy who suffers from post-amolic stress over witnessing his parents' murder on Christmas Eve and subsequent upbringing the abusive Catholic orphanage. In adulthood, the Christmas holiday leads him to a second level breakdown as he murders the sweet killer donning a Santa suit. So that was Silent Identity Night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it, but we're going to move on to the next story. But first, we have to take a break. Hello, everybody. This is me, Cash, of course. Who else would it be? Um, And today, what we're going to be doing is Silent Identity Night Part 2. The sequel picks up on Christmas Eve is some years after the first... Some years after the first movie, when Ricky Cadwell, the 18-year-old brother of the first film's killer, now being held in a mental hospital, sentenced there for life after a trial he had a series of murders he committed while being interviewed by the psychologist Dr. Henry Bloom, Ricky tells the story of the murders and his brother Billy committed throughout the series in several flashbacks using footage from the original film. These flashbacks have new shots that make Ricky appear in more of Billy's original story. After this, Ricky tells his own story. After Billy's death, 
He was adopted and given good upbringing, by, but his trauma never treated. After his foster father's death, Brookie loses his computer and commits a series of random murders, targeting people who are naughty, a chance for a normal life. This seems to appeal when he started dating Jennifer Statton, but an unpleasant encounter with Jennifer's ex-boyfriend, Chip, sends Ricky over the edge. He kills Chip by electrocuting him with jumper cables that have attached to a car while Jennifer watches and uses a and uses the car antenna to strangle Jennifer and death to death. A security guard witnesses this, and Ricky is about to get arrested. But he grabs the guard's gun, shoots him in the forehead, and goes shooting the spree. He kills the last three more people throughout a suburban neighborhood, including including shooting one man in the garbage after he's on garbage day. Garbage day. Later on, Ricky gets himself to a standoff where he tries to commit suicide before getting arrested by the police. Cutting back to the present day, Ricky kills Dr. Bloom and escapes to the mental hospital from the mental hospital, murdering a civilian army Santa and stealing the costume. Ricky plans a mission to accomplish what Billy failed to do, which was to kill Mother Superior. After chasing Mother Superior through, throughout her house, Ricky succeeds to be decapitating her. Ricky cleans out the blood and stages the scene to make it look like Mother Superior sitting in the chair, placing unconnected from her head to her body. But as soon as this is discovered, the police officers that had arrived on the scene, Ricky leaps out and prepares to attack, but is shot down. Sister Mary wakes up, and a police officer tells her he's gone, sister. It's over. And then he turns around to see Mother Superior's severe head. Before screaming in terror, Ricky, who has been shot by the cops, suddenly opens his eyes and smiles devilishly, detailing that he has survived the gunshot wounds. The final shot shows Billy's arm dressed in Santa suit, plunging for the knife on the screen before it freezes and the credits roll. So yeah, that one was short and sweet, but it was pretty and I liked it. Now, I know you were only here to hear Garbage Day, probably, but that movie's way more than that. It's just awesomeness. Now, I don't know about you, but I really like that movie. If you liked it, um, you should like it, but but we're going to move on to the next movie, Silent Night. Let me see which one it is next. That's right. Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. And then Silent Night... And then Christmas Evil, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, then Santa Slay. Okay, guys, so that is going to be it for the Christmas special of plot summaries. But now I'm going to be doing... I want to make this episode... I'm going to be done. I'm actually done. I'm done for the Christmas special for today. Then you're going to... But now it's time for Sarah's, um, now I'm going to be interviewing Sarah for my podcast. Um, you, you know who Sarah is. I've been reviewing her. I've been interviewing her. We've been playing a bunch of games. You know her. You know, I always talk about her podcast, Scary Stories. And yeah, you know her. Just, that's going to be next up. So, hopefully, you're, you're excited for that because 
It's gonna be, it's gonna be fun. So yeah, so on this, so on this podcast, basically what we do is we have the time of our life. We just basically what we do is we do we're gonna do next. We're gonna do Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Three, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Four, Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Nine, Ten, Eleven, Twelve. I'm just kidding. We're just gonna do five. Come on in. I can't come what? Okay, I'm gonna have to go let my little cousin in. I'll be right back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to horror movie reviews. Hi, my cat's got school and co-hosted by Simon Gaskell. Excuse me? I was supposed to do the intro. Nope. You can't do it right. We are doing Black Christmas. Hey. Simon, this is my podcast. An unseen and... An unseen and disoriented man. Climbs up and into the air. Oh, wait, we forgot to tell them, guys. This episode is going to be recorded. And you can watch it on YouTube soon. Yeah, guys, you like seeing me eat? Okay, wait, Simon. Sphinx is the best. Okay. An unseen disoriented man climbs up in the attic of a security house where the tenants are celebrated with a Christmas party. One of the girls, Jess, answers an obscene phone call from a mentally unstable man who was impaled and called a house regularly. She summons her father's students into the room where they listen as the caller screams and curses them on the phone. When one of the girls, a full mouth, the Barb takes the phone from death, she incites the caller who turns it to promise to kill her. Barb argues when a younger student, Claire Harrison, who impales that the caller should be a serial rapist. Before Claire returns to her bedroom to finish packing for Christmas break, this oriented man lures Claire into her closet, where he suffocates her with a plastic dress bag. He moves her body into the attic. Welcome to Kill Count. My name is James A. Welcome to the Kill Count. We tie the victims in all our favorite horror movies. I'm James A. Janice. And today we're going to be looking... No, I'm James A. Janice. And today we're looking at... Black Christmas that came out in 1974. Black Christmas is a 1974 Canadian slasher film produced and directed by Bob Clark and is written by Ray Moore. It stars a, it is one of the best, most classic Christmas horror movies of all time. Now, without further ado, let's come to Okay, I'm joking. So, the following morning, Mr. Harrison arrives at the school to pick up his daughter, but then she fails to show up to agree to agreed meeting place. He quickly makes his way to the security house where the house mother, Mrs. McHenry, is surprised by Claire's absence. Meanwhile, just meets her boyfriend, Peter, a nutritious, nutrition music student. Son and stop. I'm trying to look for hack chocolate. Also, and it's not recording. I know it's not. I don't want it to. We're not, it's, this is not going to be on YouTube, guys. I tend to report Claire is missing while Jess quickly tells Claire's boyfriend, Chris, and Claire's sudden disappearance. They learn another local girl named Janice Quill has seemingly vanished and went from walking home from school. And eating teriyaki chicken while drinking speech. Oh my gosh, I'm putting a drunken barb to bed. Mr. Mr. Harrison, Chris, Jess, and Phyllis go to search for Janice in a nearby park where she is... 
essentially disappeared, hoping to turn up some sign of Claire. Meanwhile, Miss, Mrs. Mack plans to leave the sister's home, only to be lured up to the attic where she discovers Claire's body. The killer throws a crane hook into her face, hanging and killing her. In the part, Janice's disfigured yeah, body is the police when Jess returns home. They've been doing this for days. Um... Home while the searchers continue for Claire. Jess answers another obscene phone call and decides to file a report with the police with the popo. Only for Peter to appear and surprise her. He attempts to pursue her in the marriage for the sake of their child. But Jess, he ain't having it, immediately refuses. When Peter leaves the emotional state, where where Lieutenant Kenneth Fuller <gasps> arrives to bug the telephone. Don't. <laughs> Some I swear to God. I'm going to tell one of your darkest secrets on here. A group of choir children arrived at the house to stop to sing Christmas carols. Distracting Jess, the killer enters Barb's room and murders her with a glass figurine. Cash. What? What? Screw off. I mean a donut. This is sponsored by donuts. Mm-hmm. So no, then they not. sing Christmas carols, distracting Jess. The killer enters Barb's room and murders her with a glass big urine. Barb cries for help and drowned out of singing children. Drop One that. of the women in charge of the children assures them away and learned that Janice's murder just experienced another. Hamilton. Okay, unnerving phone call, which a seller restates. Part of her argument with Peter, well, Lieutenant Fuller theorizes that Peter could be responsible due to his own mental fragility, but just doubts this. Moments later, Phyllis enters the room and is astonished by the killer who murders her off. Is there a green Screen. A sprinkled donut? A green sprinkled donut. Mm. Jess gets another obscene phone call, which the killer assumes to some sort of transgression between the two children named Agnes and Billy. This call is Billy? long enough to be traced by Granham, a telephone company employee. And so Grantness instructs Jess to leave the house immediately. As the call has been tracked to the coming and within the house, concerned for Barb and Phyllis, Jess's arms disarms herself with a poker and adventures, upst- and ventures upstairs, where she discovers Barb and Phyllis named the maimed figures. The killer appears and pursues Jess through the house. And pursues Jess through the house. Jess locks herself in the cellar only for Peter to appear outside of one of the windows. He smashes the window to get Jess, who proceeds to withdraw him with a poker, assuming he was a killer. The police arrive moments later, alerted by... Simon. (laughs) Get out. If we're going to be like this. I can't get out. We're yeah. not going to be in this podcast episode if you don't stop. Just to bed and discuss my words. I know where the bodies that Claire and Mrs. McHenry still in the attic. Jess is left in the house arrest, but the policeman's standing outside. The killer climbs down from the attic as Jess sleeps in the nearby room. And the house telephone begins to ring, leaving Jess's fate unknown as the credits roll. Wow, that was awesome. Oh, well. Bye. This is a good movie, guys. I'm not going to do the other ones because this is over until we interview Sarah.
And I'm going to be on her podcast, where she's going to abuse me on Thursday, okay? Okay, hard. But it's just going to be me, Simon. But it's tomorrow. Are you going to do it? Are you going to be on it, too? I'm going to be in Antonio. No, you're not. Good point. Simon, are you going to... Do you want to be in the episode? In that part of the episode? Don't you get paid well, for a on... show? No. I thought you said that. No. You don't you get what? paid a dime. A penny? Nope. A nickel? No, Simon. Eight Stop dollars. it. Stop it. Guys, um, we're going to have to go before Simon gets on my nerves a bunch. And... Until next time, bye. Bye. Okay, guys. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and upload this without, um, um, but Sarah is going to be in it. I'm going to update it where Sarah is in it, okay? It's going to be my holiday special part two. So, I love you guys so much. Until next time, bye. I'm going to miss you all.